Okay, y'all can have a seat. Thank you again for being here this morning. Once we get all settled, we're going to start with a little bit of interaction. Won't take much out of you, other than just raising your hand and being honest. I'm going to ask you uh, a few questions here. We're going to take a little quiz. And don't be afraid to look around and see how your friends and neighbors and church family answers here. Uh, so let's begin. We're going to ask three questions. Just be honest with yourself. And uh, if you agree with it, you'll raise your hand. Yeah, you can just follow along here. All right, question number one. Raise your hand if you typically are a joyful and grateful person. If you like overall, you're a joyful and grateful person. Okay, we got a few hands up. All right. Ignore the people that are looking at you like. <laughs> All right. Now, number two, raise your hand if you could stand to be a little more grateful and joyful. Right. And if you didn't raise your hand on the other one, go ahead and raise both hands if this really applies to you. Right. Okay. Question number three. And this one's a two parter. And this one just to answer, raise your hand, let me see your hands if you agree with these statements, okay? All right, first one, no right or wrong here. Christians in general have a reputation of being grateful and joyful. Raise your hand if you agree with that statement. Christians in general have a reputation of being grateful and joyful. There's not very many hands, right? All right, Barry's always grateful. So, all right, number two then, raise your hand if you agree with this. If Christians in general have a reputation of being kind of grouchy. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, I don't know how you answered. I, I wouldn't check anything. But this morning, if you're ahead of me, you probably already guessed where we're going. We're going to talk about gratitude this morning. And something I've discovered and I want you to discover today about gratitude that has really blown my mind. I probably say too often two things in my sermons. One, I often will say, and I probably do say it too often, this sermon, I'm speaking right to myself or I'm preaching to myself or if I've stepped on your toes, I'm aiming for my own. I probably say that too often. And I also say too often that scripture this week as I studied blew my mind or I discovered something new. Well, this morning, I'm not going to say either of those. I'm going to emphatically say both of those. What we're going to discover today is an incredible passage about gratitude and the way that we look at the world because of what Jesus has done. And this passage today is spoken straight to my heart. It is spoken to me because misery loves company, and I like to be in that company. And so I have been challenged this morning by this passage. The world seems to be pretty miserable, amen? And this scripture today is going to help us consider some new habits, to be challenged by the way that gratitude can change the way we handle temptation. And this morning, I want you to know, and, and Shane, you couldn't have said it better, Jesus is looking for us not just to gather something new, just to learn something new, but what he's looking for is what he's always looking for. What he's looking for this morning is what he looks for every day in us. Is it not that we just gather something new, but that we surrender ourselves so that we can take on his likeness? 
And so what he's looking for this morning, and maybe this is you today, because this week I've had to get on my knees a couple times and go, I need to learn this, God. I need to take this on. I need this to be poured into my spirit. I need to be sanctified as, was that 1 Thessalonians 4.3, right? 4.3, it's God's will that you be sanctified. I need that. And so what God's looking for this morning from each of us is those of us who are courageous enough to get on our knees, open our hands and say, this may be a simple lesson, but God speak and God change and God give me a new direction in my life. I pray that that'll happen this morning. I pray that we will have an encounter with the living God today. So let's pray about that and pray for a church family here in town that God's will will be done in them. Let's pray. God, we want to come to you in that surrender that Shane just shared about. God, we would love the example of Jesus um, when he prays for your will to be done and not his own, even as he struggled with what he knew was to be the right decision. And God, I pray that we won't just to admire his decision, but we will follow his decision today. That we will be um, willing and open and honest with ourselves to surrender to you. Father, and this morning my, my mind is going towards Central Baptist Church. I, I really don't know much about them, but I pray that your will will be done. I pray that you'll be glorified in that place this morning as they gather. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So our next section of scripture out of Ephesians, this aha letter. It's Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. So turn there if you'd like to or follow along on the app. Paul is going to tell us after he's just told us, live a life imitating God, a life of love. That's verses one and two in Jake's paraphrased version. Live a life of love. He's gonna say this, a life that's moved from the old to the new. He says this, but among you, this new humanity, you all, read that as plural. I probably should have put it up there that way. It is plural. But among y'all, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of, light, of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything that is exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and let Christ shine on you. And Christ will shine on you. Now there's so much in these 11 or 12 verses like there has been. Paul can write a sentence that is so dense, it's incredible. But I want you to remember last week what we said. 
Last week, what we talked about is that we had moved from an old way. We put it away and we moved into a new self, a new way of life. Bridger, I ask you to come up here. Come up here for me. Bridger's going to be my guy so I don't fall. If you fall out of this, at least it's not me, right? right? All right, Bridger, if you'll get in there and you can use the wall there for stability, whatever. That's what I cheated with last week. All right. Here's what he said. That Jesus isn't something we just carry around and then we carry around all these other identities. If you remember last week, what he said is the new reality is you are in Christ. The old is gone and every identity you have is filtered through this. You are in him. Now this week, what he said is you are now no longer walking in darkness, but you are walking in the light. As a kid, I always wanted to be Luke Skywalker, right? So much so that when my brother tricked me into trying to make a lightsaber by telling me if I just put a sword handle and a metal rod outside in the sun, it would turn into a lightsaber, I did it for hours. I was that stupid, right? But here's the better news. He doesn't tell us we can be Skywalkers. He says, you're a light walker. The old is gone, the new is here. And what he says here, and Brandon, you may want to get the, you may want to get the uh, lights here on the stage real quick, is what he gives us is he says, you are now a light walker. <laughs> Thank you. That's why I wanted you up here, Bridger. <laughs> you are now walking in the light. And even more than that, he says, what? You are light. So walk as children of the light. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. All right, you're good, man. You can come out. I won't keep you up here the whole time. All right, we'll keep the lights on there. That is an incredible statement. You are a light walker. You live as if you are a child of the light. But I want to unpack specifically, although this passage has overflowing all kinds of good stuff, we're going to hone in on one teaching that that has literally blown my hair back, as the kids say. I don't think they say that anymore. But it has blown my hair back, and that is this. Number one, I think, where we're going to focus on today is this, is that Paul teaches us, number one, that gratitude is the Christian's best weapon against darkness. It's a weapon. Let's go back to verses three and four. This is so good. This is what blew me away. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity or greed. So he lists three sins there. Because of these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Three more sins. Which are out of place. And then he gives us something that's so incredible. Six sins. All right. Impurity, sexual immorality, greed, coarse talk, joking, coarse joking, foolish talk, obscenity. And then he says, you know what? You want to know how, how, what overcomes those things? Let me show you what's instead, what's in here. It's Thanksgiving. It's gratitude is a weapon. I never have thought about that before. Never had really let that capture my mind. But I, and I won't ask for a show of hands on this, but we're going to unpack this for just a second, how gratitude is a weapon. But please answer in your head. Do you struggle with sexual immorality? 
Now that's a blanket term. It's the Greek word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography, but it's a blanket term for lust. It, it includes definitely what we would consider pornography now. It includes adultery. It includes fornication. It includes all those big sexual sin words. And Paul used that. Do you struggle with that? Of course, many of us in here do. Do you struggle with impurity in all its forms? Do you struggle with greed? Greed, wanting more or keeping more than what you actually need. That's what greed is. It's the belief that I deserve more. Or what about just what comes out of your mouth? Paul says obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking have no place in the kingdom. Those terms may not be familiar to us. We don't say, well, stop coarse joking, you know. Don't tell that coarse joke. We don't say that, right? What do we say is, do you struggle with swearing or cursing, cussing? Do you struggle with, I think coarse joking is probably jokes at the expense of somebody else. Racist jokes. Jokes that put somebody down. Maybe you joke about your spouse around your friends. Do you struggle with gossip? Those are harsh words. And I think if all of us were to raise our hands to any of these questions, do you struggle with any of these six sins that Paul mentions, all of us would probably have our hands up. Amen, church? Of course we would. And that's what's so awakening about this passage is that God's word through Paul, what he says is you want an antidote to that poison of your mind and the poison of your mouth? Learn to speak thanksgiving. Learn to be grateful. Gratitude is a weapon. What good news this morning, church. If you struggle with a sin, and probably one of the sins that you've struggled with for many years in your life that seems to be habitual and can't get out of your life, it's probably one of those six. The good news is, if you've struggled with those and those attitudes, this morning there's hope. And that hope is, There is a way of speaking and being thankful that is a weapon against those forces of darkness. Gratitude is the gateway to walking in this light, to staying in this place with Jesus. So I want you to think about how this works for just a second. We're going to put this to use. Gratitude is naming something that didn't come from me. It's a gift, right? Gratitude is the ability to notice and discern gifts in my life and then not to just notice it, but to speak it, to say something about it. And when gratitude is practiced, it has this power. Well, here's why it's a weapon. If I'm headed this way and I start to speak with gratitude, it redirects my life. It gives me a new moral compass. It starts to speak into my life. It adjusts my morals in a way that is life-changing. Now, I know a lot of us, and I, I didn't come up with this. I heard a speaker say this one time, that in church, and we, all ra- we didn't raise our hand when we said Christians have a really good reputation of being happy, joyful, grateful people, right? A lot of us this morning come from lines of people, and I'm one of them, that when we really sang the song, if you're happy and you know it, what we meant was, if you're happy and you know it, something must be wrong, <laughs> Right? <laughs> Or if you're happy and you know it, it's time to repent, right? Because we don't, equ- we don't equate gratitude and smiles often with the Christian walk. But yet here it is in Scripture 
Paul's saying, you want to be ahead, you want to beat back the darkness in your life. You want to destroy the darkness in your life. Your best weapon is to be thankful for what you have in Christ. So gratitude is naming the gifts we have. I asked my wife, who's the most grateful person I know and has helped me become a more grateful person uh, over the years. Got a lot of work to do still, Al, um, on me. But I asked Allison, I said, what's, what's a great definition of gratitude? I asked her this on oh, Monday night or something. And here's what she said. I thought this was brilliant. She said, gratitude is knowing there's enough for everyone. Oh, man, that is, that is on point. That'll preach. So I made it preach this morning. <laughs> gratitude, is, gratitude is knowing there's enough for everyone. So let's put that to work with these sins. Struggle with lust, sexual immorality, impurity of any form. Gratitude is the weapon that comes in no matter my stage or my age or my status of single, married, long married, divorced, whatever it is, if I'm struggling with my thoughts, if I'm struggling with lust, if I'm struggling with my actions, with somebody I'm dating, or struggling with something in my marriage, if I'm struggling because I'm clicking on way too many websites after my spouse has gone to sleep or when I'm alone, gratitude teaches me that what I have now is enough. It teaches me to be joyful in my marriage or joyful in my singleness, joyful in the stage and age that I'm at, knowing that I have a good God who is going to take care of me. It's a powerful force. It's a force that can be used. So if you struggle, men, women, mostly men though often, but it's women too. If you struggle with images that you look at, that we know are ungodly, next time that temptation is in your life, pause and give thanks for what God is doing and see what happens. When you wield that weapon, how about greed? Greed is the state of our heart of believing that there's not enough so I must acquire we, we want to think that only the billionaires are greedy. I got news for you. Probably almost every working American is greedy on some level. <laughs> uh, amen? <laughs> right? We're greedy. I like stuff, right? But gratitude counters greed because when I realize there's enough to go around, then I'm happy to share what I've already been given. When I become thankful for what I have, gratitude becomes generosity and greed is kicked out the door. Isn't that incredible? The most giving people in life, the most sacrificial, when we come to probably, I don't, there's no way to test this. We would never test this. When we come to um, our missions month and on May 6th, when we give to our missions, it won't be amounts that matter, but the people who give the most out of their out of, out of their income percentage-wise or give the most sacrificially will be the people that have the most gratitude in their heart. Probably, can, I could say that with a lot of confidence today. And I bet you guys would agree if you think about that. And then what about our language? This weapon. See, what we say is what we become, right? The language you use is slowly what you become. You gripe about your spouse all the time, you're eventually not gonna like your spouse. 
You gripe about people or your work, you're eventually going to hate your work. Our language is kind of the, the future telling, the fortune teller of where we're headed in life. And when my mouth is full of thanks and joy and encouragement and happiness, then I am transformed in a person, not of gossip, but a person of grace. So gratitude is a weapon. And I got to admit, church family, it's not a weapon that I have used enough. I, com- I confess that to you today. I'm not thankful enough for you all. I'm not thankful enough for the things that God and the people that God has put into my life. But I think what Paul's saying here is brilliant. It's life-changing because gratitude overcomes evil. I need this message. I told you all that, but there's more. So I got into this passage this week and I was like, all right, where else can we go? Paul talks, and you probably know this, but Paul talks about gratitude and thanksgiving all the time. Check these passages out. He says this, Philippians 4.4. There's other places where he says, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always in Philippians chapter four. And I'll say it again, rejoice. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, the chapter after what, what Shane quoted earlier, he says, rejoice always, pray continually. And then hear this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 21, the last half, Of that, he says, hold on to what is good. So gratitude's not only a weapon, it's a weapon that must be gripped. In all circumstances, I am wielding this weapon. I'm gripping this weapon. I'm holding on to the good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. I'm holding on to it. Now a world... To pick on it just for a second is, is kind of miserable right now, right? There's a supermarket aisle full of reasons to be miserable, options to get you down. If you watch news, I don't know why you do, <laughs> because all it is is chicken little. Every day there's another reason that the sky is falling, right? There's all these reasons for us to get down, but we've got to ask ourselves, have we lost our grip on gratitude? And if we have, isn't that, the, isn't that the fastest way for the misery of the world to invade the church? Have we become miserable like the world? Are we as miserable as followers of Jesus as followers of the world are? I don't want to be. I think you're probably already convicted this morning that you don't want to be. You don't want this church family. You don't want the reputation of the Canadian Church of Christ to be, man, those are a bunch of grumpy people, right? Hey, come to church with us. We're super grumpy, right? Come to Sunday morning. We'll let you down, right? Hey, come hear our preacher. He will beat you over the head and make you feel like you're going straight to hell, right? I mean, good night, right? We don't want that to invade here. So what should we do? So what do we do is we grasp on to gratitude. We practice it. We get it into our lives. We seek it. It becomes a primary place in our prayers. It becomes primary in the way that we speak to others. We learn to praise others. Paul said there, rejoice always, right? And again, I'll say it. Rejoice. He is in prison when he writes this. I love this word. The word for rejoice is the same thing that the Magi proclaim in Matthew chapter 2 when they see the star. 
They rejoice. They've been on this journey. Then they rejoice. It's also the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 18 when the shepherd finds his lost sheep. He rejoices. The church should be a place, a central hub of rejoicing in what we have. So let's rejoice because then we walk in the light. And then what what 1 Thessalonians said is this, is so straightforward. I don't know how many of us in here have ever asked, am I walking according to God's will? Am I living according to God's will? We've already heard it twice out of 1 Thessalonians. God's will isn't some detailed plan for your life. According to Paul, God's will for your life, chapter uh, chapter four, verse three, is to be sanctified. And right here, am I living according to God's will? You can answer yes or no. Am I grateful? Am I being thankful. So we've got to grip it. We've got to grip gratitude. We've got to hold on to it. It's got to be practiced. It's a muscle that's got to be used. Now, am I saying this morning that there's no room for sadness and there's no room for seasons of difficulty? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we go around just faking our way through it. That is not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying though is that while recently all of us have felt loss and hurt, we have to ask, do those seasons and those difficulties take away the ultimate reality of an empty tomb? Absolutely not. Sadness doesn't remove the reality that the stone has rolled away. So we rejoice, and we say it again, let's rejoice even in our sadness. The reality of a forgiving savior is not taken away. The reality of a heavenly future, a reality of a family reunion that's coming someday on the other side of death is not taken away by our current circumstances. So we still have much to be thankful for, much to grip. Tears won't last forever, but God's love will. Amen, church? And that's why we rejoice. One more passage and the lesson will be yours. We grip gratitude, but one more place that Paul talks about this is Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. You received him, get in with him. Rooted, you take up roots in this, right? Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And then what? So if you're in him, Paul, Paul assumes what will come out of you is overflowing with thankfulness. Light walkers, those who are walking according to light, are those who have Christ in such an abundance that it overflows. Gratitude overflows. And this is the point I want to make with this. Gratitude is not only a weapon, it not only has to be practiced and held on to, but think about it this way. Gratitude is the preamble to our good news. It's the preamble. It's the introduction. When we're grateful, like my church example earlier, inviting somebody to church, when we're grateful, it changes the whole story, right? And you guys are, this church, you guys, us, we, this is an amazing place to come visit because there is hardly ever, and may God forgive us and cover us in his grace if we don't. But there is hardly ever a time somebody doesn't get just bombarded with encouragement 
and thank yous and all kinds of stuff when good news happens and when they're brand new visitors here. You guys are so good at that. And that is a preamble to good news. I don't think anybody's ever been nagged into heaven. <laughs> right? There may be a few, I don't know. I wouldn't be one of them, right? I'm pretty sure nobody's ever been complained toward Jesus. Paul says here to the Colossians that as we live our lives in him and become rooted in Christ, what should be our preamble to the good news is our overflow of thanksgiving. And church, we still have a mission. We still have something to share. The Great Commission hasn't lost its power during COVID. So let's be grateful for what we have. Our message of good news will fall on deaf ears if it's coming from ungrateful people. Right? Can't study the Bible with somebody if you're like, I hate my church. Let me tell you about Jesus. Right? This church family, they don't get it, but let me, you ought to be baptized, you know? No, we're inviting people into a family of gratitude, a new humanity, people who are walking in the light. And the question we've got to ask, here, here's the thing, is we've got to ask, does the world, does non-Christians, do unchurched Christians, which there's many, is there's a thousand, there's only about 25% of people going to church in Canadian right now. 25%. Does the 75% of the rest of this town want what we have because it's full of joy? Or does it look just like the misery of the world they're living in? I want you to watch this video uh, from Tyler Perry uh, as, as, as Brandon's getting that up. Uh, we couldn't get it to work on the slide, so we're just going to show it this way. Tyler Perry is famous for his movies, the Medea movies. I've never seen a single one, but this is a little bit of his life story. And I want you just to capture what he says about bringing light to somebody. Let's watch this. I grew up in New Orleans. My mother worked as a daycare assistant at the Jewish Community Center. The man that I was told was my father was a carpenter and a functional alcoholic. He was abusive to my mother and I, not more than a baby herself, when she married this man, she tried her best to protect me from him. But with no life skills of her own, she did what she knew how to do. Friday was payday for him, so he would come home happy, but that was short-lived. He would go out and return a few hours later drunk and angry, yelling and fighting her. As I look back over my life, there were many people that had a hand in shining light into my darkness when I was growing up. I had just started junior high school, and in order for me to get to high school, I had to walk through the drug dealers, literally step over the and the drug addicts, walk through a graveyard, then in the next block past gang members, and then go through the projects, and then come to a six-lane intersection, and it was always busy, but just beyond that was the school. Well, one day as I'm approaching this intersection, I hear this voice saying, will someone help me cross? He was in a suit. He had a cooler in a hand and a folded lawn chair in one hand and his cane in the other. Will someone help me cross, he said. People kept ignoring him, walking past him with their busy lives. We were poor, but we were busy. I don't know why poor people are so busy. <laughs> I said, I'll help you in my 13-year-old 
changing voice. He said, well, thank you, son. May I have your shoulder? I said, yes, sir. He said, don't trick me now. I said, no, sir, I won't. We crossed the street. I asked him where he was going. He told me that he was going to, uh, to my school to sell perline candies to the kids. So I helped him to the school and he said, thank you. And he told me that God would bless me for my kindness. He and I became friends. We took that walk every day. I came out of school one afternoon and there he was sitting outside in that lawn chair selling praline candies, 25 cents. And I saw one of the kids try to buy candy, right? And they gave Mr. Butler a dollar and they told him it was a $5 bill. I stepped in and I said, Mr. Butler, this is a scam. Needless to say, I had a lot of enemies at that school, but it didn't matter. I was glad to do it. You see, Mr. Butler was one of the first men in my life to see me. And what made it all the more special is that he was blind. He was a point of light. One morning I was late meeting him and as I walked up to the intersection, I could see Mr. Butler standing there, not saying a word. So I tipped up behind him and I said, I said, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna wait to see what happens. He said, I know you're there, son. I said, yes, sir, I am. I said, I didn't hear you saying, will someone help me cross? He said, no, I was listening for you. I said, you were? He said, yes. Sometimes in life, son, when you pray and you said all you can say, all you have to do is stand and wait and listen. What a point of light he was. There are many people in this world that are wanting, waiting, saying, asking, begging, hoping. Will someone help me cross? We all have the power to be a point of life. Will somebody help me cross? I couldn't imagine we'd be where we are after two years. A lot of misery in the world. But everybody in here has the ability to be grateful. To say thank you and to be a point of light. So this morning, I'm just going to challenge you with that. Practice. We put a 30-day gratitude challenge. It's from 2020. That's kind of fitting uh, in the bulletin today. It's an old one, but it's still very, very on point. It's relevant to what we're going through. But today, you may just want to turn to your neighbor and respond to this sermon by saying, I need to tell you that I'm grateful for you. You may need to get up and go tell somebody in the audience you're grateful for them. You may need to just come forward and go, I know we treat this as the bad news row. This isn't the bad news row. This is the front row to go, God is good. And we're grateful. So whatever you need this morning, use the weapon you, you've got. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. That can't be taken away. It can be lived into. And let's carry those weapons of gratitude and change the world. It's like a point of light that came into Tyler Perry's life. An old man who said, will you help me cross? This week, maybe you'll find somebody that needs to cross. Maybe down on the street, of course. Not many crosswalks in Canadian. Only got two flat lights, you know. <laughs> but you may be somewhere else. School, work, and home, crossing somebody closer to Jesus, taking them to his feet.
you need anything this morning, we're here for you. Let's stand together and sing.